0: Well, I invite you to remain standing for the reading of Scripture. We'll be reading from Galatians chapter 5. Let's read God's good word together. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Brandon Blackson. I'm the executive pastor here, and it's great to be with you. Happy New Year, and um, thanks for starting your year by worshiping with us. It's really good to see everyone, and uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I've been thinking about resolutions. Uh, Miss Megan talked about that, and so um, I wonder what are your resolutions for 2022. Have you thought about that? have you made any? I don't, well, so I, I like this time, but I'm more of like a January 10th resolver. Like, I need some time to feel the new year, you know, kind of know how it's going to be and catch my breath from Christmas, and then I'll kind of figure out, you know, what am I actually trying to do this year? But but I know we've got a lot of high-achieving people who like to set goals, who are motivated, and and who make resolutions, and so that's something that's that's been on my mind, and, and I've been kind of assaulted is the wrong word, but I've had a lot of content thrown my way about having the best kinds of resolutions. Have Have you seen any of that? Does any of that show up for you? And uh, maybe because I clicked on it once, and then it just continued. But but you know, you see all these things like how to make the best resolutions, how to make your resolutions stick, and and there's even like you know how to set the best kinds of goals, and there are these acronyms, and you know about smart goals, right? But but there are other there are smarter goals too, and those are better. I don't I mean obviously they're smarter than just smart. I'm I'm actually coming up with my own acronym. It's Smartacular. I think it's going to be great. I don't know what it stands for yet. But by the end of the week, I mean, just be ready. There's going to be an online course that you can take for only like $997, and, and it'll help you be better. Okay, we're not going to do that, but but you've seen all of this. Well, it's an interesting tradition, and actually in some ways dates back to ancient Rome, um, There's a god named Janus. uh, I don't actually know how to say it. Latinized Janus, maybe. Anyway, Janus, we'll call him. And uh, and in ancient Rome, religious Romans would uh, promise the god Janus that they would be better in the next year. And so you can see him. uh, The reason why um, the month of January is named after him, because it's uh, the first month of the year he's uh, looking forward and backward and, uh, and so that, that's fitting. And, uh, and most of us, I think, if you're here, you're probably not practicing Roman religion, right? Um that's great. If not, um, that's not really what we're about. But, uh, but we do continue to practice that, um, that practice that started there. And so um, for many of us, um, somewhere between a third and a half of Americans make resolutions each year. I'm, I'm guessing, just based on kind of what I know of our congregation, that we're on the higher end of that. Uh, but it's very common. And, and so what are the most common resolutions that people make you could shout them up at me, uh, I'm sure, but um, you know what these are. They're financial goals, saving more, paying off debt, investing, those kinds of things. 51% of people report that. Eating healthier is a big one. The The closeness of Christmas, I think, has something to do with that, but 51% say that. Um, exercising more, 50%, and then losing weight, 42%. And so broadly, I mean, being healthier financially and healthily, healthier physically um, have a lot to do with those. And so those are kind of of the major things that, um, that people resolve. Those are the most common resolutions that people make. And one of the things that's interesting about those is most of those resolutions, and most of the ones that I hear about from other people, have to do with what we can accomplish. They have to do with our accomplishments, things that we can actually achieve. And in fact, you know, that's what the, the goal-setting uh, gurus tell you, is that they need to be specific things that are actually achievable depending on which formulation of SMART you are using. Um, but one of the things that we run into is that accomplishing things doesn 't necessarily make us any happier it doesn 't lead to lasting satisfaction and, um, and that 's what we find and you 've probably experienced this something that you knew if I can just accomplish this then then things will be better um, then i 'll be happier then i 'll really feel good about myself, and then you get there and you 're like okay this didn 't do it, but the next thing will like I, I just was setting the wrong goal a few years ago. I decided I wanted to run a half marathon, and, and so I finished it, and that was a big deal. I'd never run close to that far before, and uh, and then it was like immediately, like before the day was out, it was like, okay, I want to do this again, but I want to do it faster next time, right? I mean, the accomplishment wasn't enough by itself, and so then I did another one, and I did it faster, and then it was like, okay, I need to run uh, 25k now. I need to run f- further, and you know, it just kept going. Eventually, I got to setting a goal for a marathon, and then I had kids, and I never really figured out how to run consistently after I had kids, so, so that one still sitting out there but but none of those ever led to lasting satisfaction. And in fact there are people who have achieved a lot more than I have who have found that same thing. There are Olympians who after the Olympics, I mean people like Mark Spitz, Michael Phelps, I mean these legendary Olympians who have achieved the pinnacle of success just find themselves feeling empty after the Olympics are over. Uh, There's a swimmer named Allison Schmidt. She won five medals at the 2012 Olympics in London. Three of those were gold. She set a world record. And after the Olympics, she just found herself in just this deep, dark place that she couldn't pull herself out of. And that's a common experience for Olympians because they're so focused on accomplishments that that once they accomplish those things, the the kind of enduring, you know, fame and, and happiness that they think they'll have doesn't last and so this is what, um, what one sports psychologist says, Kristen Keim, who's worked with some of the people. She says that what the mindset that you have to take is that the result is not who you are. You have to separate the individual from the result. Because if you, if you identify with that and think, you know, if I can just get here, if I can just get this promotion, if I can just get this job, or, you know, if I can just get my wealth to this level, whatever that is for you, if you think somehow you're going to get there and everything will be good... It doesn't work like that. You find yourself feeling empty and just asking, what's the next thing? The thing that we run into is if we focus only on accomplishments, we're focusing on the wrong thing. And I've actually got some pretty good experience with focusing on the wrong thing. Anybody else? Uh, So one of the ways that I experienced this was um, a year or two ago, I got into pen making. I love pens, and I I like woodworking. And I thought, you know, I could bring these two things together, and it will be wonderful. And so I bought some supplies. This is kind of what it looks like. Um, you can see, so you start off with just the, the wood blanks, and so that the the grains match up, this is one of the tit tricks of the trade that I picked up. You draw a line so that you know so you don 't get the grain going the wrong way, and uh, you cut them in half, and then at least for the kind of pen that I was making, and then you put um, a brass cylinder inside of it to reinforce it so that it 's strong enough and um, then you put it on a lathe and start turning it, and you can see kind of the material coming off there. Note, this is not good lathe safety. I should have had my hands like right there, so don't don't uh, practice that. But um, but that's what it looks like. And then eventually, you know, um, you wear away enough material, and then you can sand and finish. And um, even if you don't really know what you're doing, they can actually come out pretty good. And so I made those. Those were some Christmas presents in uh, 2020 that I gave away. But, but one of the things that I found on the first ones that I was making, they, they did not look that good. In fact, this is where I ended up um, on the first one, and I don't, you probably can't tell from the picture, but that's not the desired result. But one of the things that I didn't know, you know, I just, I'd inherited my lathe from my father-in-law and all of his tools, and so I just kind of, you know, watched a few YouTube videos and tried to go at it. The thing that I didn't know and that I wasn't equipped was that if you're going to use a lathe for anything, your tools have to be really sharp. I mean, you have to constantly keep uh, sharpening and honing the edges or else things like that are going to happen. And so it didn't matter what kind of goals I set, it didn't matter what kind of materials I bought, it didn't matter what kind of pen kit I have. If I wasn't sharpening my lathe tools, if I didn't have just a really sharp edge, nothing good was going to happen. And that's kind of what happens with uh, the goals that we set. If we're only focusing on external things, if we're only focusing on things we can accomplish, it's not going to matter because what matters so much more than what we do and what we achieve is who we're becoming. It's who we're becoming, not what we do, not what we accomplish. It's who we become. And so a lot of us think, you know, what will really get us where we want going to go? What will help us, you know, be high-capacity, high-achievers, people who are happy and fulfilled and impressive? You know, if we can just achieve a lot, if we can just uh, increase our competency, then it'll get us there. Kerry Newhoff uh, has a great line about that. He says, character, not competency, determines capacity. Character, not competency, determines capacity. Because you've heard the stories, right? I mean, people who are just at the top of their field and everything is going right and they just seem everything they touch turns to gold and then they're caught in some kind of scandal, right? They're sleeping with someone they shouldn't be sleeping with, they're embezzling, they're doing something like that, they're engaged in shady business practices, and just like that, everything is gone. Because a failure of character can undo in a single moment what well, we've spent years building, and that's all it takes. Uh, The the things that we try to achieve, they can take years and even decades, and and yet just one moment of a failure of character can undo it all. And so what do we do about that? That's what we're going to talk about today, and, and to do that, we're going to talk, um, look at what the Apostle Paul says, what we just read from the book of Galatians, and, and what he talks about is becoming spiritual. Now, that's a super uh, vague phrase, but he means something very specific by it, so that's what we're going to look at. And so, in ancient Galatia, there was this, this group of people who were working against Paul. He was the one who, who was nurturing and guiding the church there, um, but there were some other people who came in and, and, and taught that if people were going to follow Jesus, Jesus was Jewish, and so if they were going to follow him, they had to follow the Jewish law completely. And the way that that really plays out in the letter to the Galatians, if you've read that, you know, um, is that they're talking about circumcision. That was the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament, and that was basically what, what they were teaching, is that all males had to be circumcised if they were really going to follow Jesus. He was a Jewish savior, and they had to become fully Jewish in order to follow him. And uh, And, you know, some of that sounds like, you know, a bunch of rules and stuff were kind of not really about but it's also nice sometimes to have really clear guidelines on where you're going. Like, I don't have to figure all this stuff out. If someone will just tell me like, what's right, I don't have to make difficult moral decisions. So if someone just gives me the path I can follow, it. we often prefer clearly defined rules because they relieve us of the responsibility of choice. I mean, haven't you ever felt that before? You know, it's really nice whenever you can say, you know, I wish there's something I could do. That's the policy. I don't set it, right? I mean, you can just pass the buck on someone else. It saves you from having to make a difficult conversation. Um, it saves you from having to take responsibility for something that you're doing. It's nice sometimes to have a rule that you can fall back on. And yet what Paul, rule, what Paul warns the Galatians about is that if they put their faith in the law, they couldn't also put their faith in Jesus. I mean, basically, if they're trusting in, in their ability to achieve adherence to the law, then they can't put their faith in Jesus. They can't rely on him if they're relying on themselves and the law, and so this is this is what he tells him. He says, and, and I mean, he's he's really blunt with him. He says, "You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace." And so he doesn't really mince words there. And the reason he puts it that way is because by by choosing not to trust him, by choosing to trust something else, then we can't trust him as well. We're putting all of our trust in a set of rules and things that we can accomplish and things that we can achieve. So what does he say instead? Instead, what he says, he invites them to guide their lives by walking with the Spirit. By walking by the Spirit. This is how he says it. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so he's putting forth this different way of living. It's not guided by knowing all of the rules and making sure that you follow them exactly, but something that can be a little bit harder to wrap our minds around, um, living by the Spirit. And so to, to guide them in that, to illustrate that, he, he contrasts two different ways of life. One of those is the life of the Spirit, and the other is the life of the flesh. And so he kind of develops this. Um, If you've read this, you know um, when he's talking about flesh. and, And we'll get to what he means by that. It's something very specific as well. But this is what he says. He says, "...what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law." And so the flesh, what he's talking about there, it sounds like maybe like it's something sexual or something like that. That, that could be part of it, but it's something that's bigger than that. Um, the flesh in Paul's writing um, refers to human abilities corrupted by sin and in opposition to God's will. And so whenever he talks about the flesh, uh, he's, he's not talking about literally, but he's talking about what the, the phrase in, uh, in an old hymn, are bent to sinning. That fact that humans just have a tendency, I mean, even at a young age, to choose what is selfish, to choose what is prideful, to choose what is opposed to God's will. And so that's what he's talking about. He, al- he also talks about the body, which generally he's talking about positively. But whenever he talks about the flesh, he's talking about that, that part of our nature that's corrupted, that that is influenced by sin, and that um, that seeks its own way and away from God's way. And so that's, that's what he talks about, is is going away from the life of the flesh. And so what does that look like? Well, he gives some illustrations. This is a, a, an Um, an illustrative list, not one that's intended to be complete, but this is what he talks about. So some of the things that maybe you would expect, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, um, if you don't have to look that word up in the dictionary, I might, Um, and then idolatry, sorcery, and then it's really interesting. So he starts off talking about things that are basically sexual in nature, and then moves on to things that are related to idolatry, to following other gods, and then the bulk of the list, he talks about enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, Quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy. So, so like eight things on the list What he's talking about is the way that we treat other people and the way that we divide ourselves from others. I mean, one of the things, basically things that, that get in the way of unity. That's really interesting. Like these are the works of the flesh. You know, we, we tend to think of some of those, you know, uh, fornication, sorcery, things like that. Those are the really bad things. But what he spends the most of his time talking about are the things that divide us, that harm our relationships with others. And so he continues, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So some kind of like self-indulgent partying kind of things, as uh, one scholar puts it. And he says, I'm warning you, as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so that's what he talks about and what, what he s- says instead. Instead of pursuing those things, um, he says, live by the Spirit. And so that's what, um, that's what he talks about. And, and whenever we live by the Spirit, the Spirit's fruit are evidence are, they're evident in our lives. Now, whenever, just as when we live by the flesh, those kinds of things are evident in our lives. And so this is how he describes it. He describes the one way, the way of the flesh, and contrasts it with the way of the Spirit. And this is how he does it. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And so these are the things that Paul says, if you, if you want to know what, what a spiritual life looks like, look for those things. If you want to live a life that's in tune with God's will, then seek those things in your own life. And what's really interesting about those is that the fruit of the Spirit, they're not accomplishments. Does anyone accomplish love like you, you did that and you got to check that off? Like probably not. If you think you did... I'm here to tell you you did not. Like, it's, it's not that simple. Has anyone achieved joy? I mean, maybe for a moment, but it's not something that just happens once and then we're good for the rest of our lives. They're, they're grown through the Spirit shaping and guiding us, through the Spirit's work inside of us. Not things that we can accomplish, but something that God brings about in our lives. And so this is how he concludes this section. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. And so what is what are the things that he's talking about? These fruit, they have a lot more to do with our character than our accomplishments. And so as we're at this time of year, as you're thinking about your resolutions, your goals, the things that you hope will happen in 2022, the things you hope that you will do in 2022— I uh, just wonder, how does that involve love, joy and peace, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? I went out of order, and so now I can't say the whole list. <laughs> faithfulness, anyway. Okay, fine, I'll, I'll start over. But how, how do those things, how are those things present in your life? And how are you seeking to grow in your character in the year to come? And so how do we do that? Well, growing in character involves living in the Spirit. And, and one of the things that sometimes gets us off track about being spiritual is we, we tend to associate it with, you know, kind of those mountaintop experiences, right? I mean, going to camp whenever you're in school or going on a mission trip or, you know, just having kind of an ecstatic moment in worship. But, but whatever—what uh, the spiritual life is, life in the Spirit's not just about the spiritual parts of our lives because all of life is spiritual— it's about the entirety of our lives. Rowan Williams illustrates this really well. He says, The spiritual teachers of our tradition and other traditions too repeatedly remind us that spiritual ecstasy is no substitute for ordinary kindness and practical generosity. Have you ever known someone who, you know, was like super religious, did all the right stuff that you're supposed to do, and just totally failed at practical kindness? I think we've all met that person, right? Do any of you want to spend a lot of time with that person? You say, I really want to be like that person. I mean, probably not. Those aren't the kinds that we seek. Those aren't the kind of people that we want to be around them because these things that Paul talks about, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, I, I just wanted to prove that I do actually know that. But those kinds of things are really everyday things. I mean, the way that we treat other people is, you know, that's something that we practice from the moment we wake up till the time that we go to bed. All of those things are very practical and everyday things. And, and so he gives us four dimensions of our lives that can help us to live in the Spirit, to, to actually embody those things. The first is self-knowledge. Self-knowledge. And so that's recognizing that the, that the way I feel about things don't have to define me, and, and, or my reactions to a certain person or a certain situation. Just because I feel it doesn't mean I have to act on it. And recognizing that just because I feel it doesn't make it true. Or just because I thought it, doesn't make it true. There's a gap between those things. And our feelings are important and our thoughts are important, but they aren't necessarily true. And, And sometimes, particularly whenever we have really strong emotions, when we're in an anxious situation, we need to take a step back and we need to recognize, okay, I'm feeling really reactive at this moment, and I need to not act on that. I mean, some of you know the phrase, I don't know where it comes from, but practice the pause. And that's kind of what we're talking about. We need to know what are the things that are motivating me, what are the things that, uh, that are going on whenever I'm having these strong reactions, and what, what is actually the way that, that I want to react, what is actually the way that, that I want to behave, And so this um, has a lot of, uh, a lot of traction in our, in our tradition. Six, five hundred, almost six hundred years ago, John Calvin says this, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Because we have to have knowledge of ourself in order to know who God is, know what God is like. Of course, he also goes on to say, without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. Those things are synergistic. But we have to know who we are, where we are, what really motivates us, what are the things that are going on inside of us in any given moment, so that we can hear God's voice, so that we can hear what the prophet Isaiah describes. He says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And whenever we begin to develop that self-knowledge, we, we realize that, you know, I, we realize that, you know what, I apparently I am seeking my worth in my job, in the things that I can accomplish professionally. And so we need that self-knowledge to recognize that so that we can step back and we can recognize that at the core of who we are, it's not all of those things. It's who God says we are. It's that we are his. And so we start with self-knowledge. Intimately related to that, the pla- one of the places that, one of the things that we need in order to actually achieve that is stillness. It's creating a space where we can quiet the voices of ourselves, we can quiet the voices of others, and that we can actually hear the voice of God. And I don't know about you, but I could use a lot more stillness in my life. Because many of us are in a state of stillness and solitude deprivation. And I like the way that Cal Newport puts this. He says, solitude deprivation is a state in which you spend close to zero time alone with your own thoughts and free from input from other minds. Does that hit a little too close to the mark for anyone else? Is there time in your life when the TV is not on, when you're not scrolling, when you're not talking to someone else, whenever you're not listening to a podcast, whenever there's not something that is entertaining or, or you know, somehow otherwise keeping you busy and free from having to actually think. We all need that time of stillness, and it's so hard for us to get now. So what would it look like for you to create spaces where you actually have stillness in your life? That looks different for all of us, but we all need a place where we can find that. So that's stillness. Then we also need to to expect to grow, to grow, to to spend, whenever we're spending time in stillness with God, whenever we're praying, whenever we're worshiping, to actually expect that God will stretch us. Not just to come to worship and to expect to, you know, feel better whenever we leave. I hope that happens. But uh, not just to, like, be entertained for for an hour and some change, um, you know, that we want you to be engaged. But if you're not stretched, if you're not challenged whenever you're here, then I'm not doing my job. And so do you expect to grow, or is, is your relationship with God in a place where it's like pretty much, yeah, I'm pretty much where I want to be, and I'm comfortable here? Because that's not how we grow in character. We need the expectation of growth. God invites us to grow with him, and so we have to take that step. We have to say yes and follow. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians. He says, Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of, for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Jesus Christ. And so if we believe that God's inviting us to grow, then we strain forward. We don't just get comfortable and say, yeah, this is where I am. But God is inviting me to continue to grow, that God's inviting me to grow in character. And we say yes. And every day, whenever we spend time with God, whenever we're praying, whenever we're worshiping on Sundays, or uh, you know, whatever day you happen to be watching this, if you're worshiping online, we're expecting... and. Maybe that's just starting with a prayer. God, stretch me. God, help me to grow. Help me to grow closer to the person that you created me to be. And then finally, as we're doing that, we include joy as well. We experience joy. And um, hopefully, I I hope this is not your experience here, but but I know many of you may have grown up in a place where, where you felt like that joy was something that didn't belong in the life of faith. That if, if there was too much joy, then that was evidence that something ungodly was going on. Have you ever had that kind of experience? We're sometimes almost afraid that, that if we enjoy things, then, then we're not actually in line with what God wants. And sometimes we're afraid to enjoy them because we're afraid of what will happen whenever they go away. But whenever we experience joy, we, we recognize a connection to the source of life, to who God is. The one who is abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. And just this super abundance, this overflowing is what we sense whenever we connect with God. And so this is how Paul puts it in Ephesians 3.20. He says to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. And whenever we're shaped and formed in God's image, it's not us who accomplish that, but it's God. And so as we're thinking about those four areas of our life, I'll, Rowan Williams asked four great questions to kind of reflect, and, and these might be a good thing to take home and look back at over lunch or this afternoon if you've got some time, but, but just think about these questions. How much of ourselves are we ready to know? What helps us be still? Are we prepared to be quietly and positively willing to move on and to grow? And are we ready for the overflow, the excess of joy that can come with that? Because whenever we do, we open ourselves to the work of the Spirit within us that shapes us and forms us and helps us to grow in character, to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And so we've got the goal, seeking to grow in character, developing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, allowing the Spirit room to work within us. We've got these four dimensions that we can actually make that happen in. And then how do, we do, how do we actually put it into action? How do we begin to develop those habits? All right, And this is where we get into that stuff that I was talking about at the beginning, kind of the nuts and bolts. And you may have read some of this. There are folks like James Clear and Charles Duhigg who have written about this. But, uh, but here's how we can start to put into place some practical habits to grow by. And so one habit writer is a behavior scientist, um, B.J. Fogg. And what he says is that for a behavior to occur, you know, a behavior, a, a new habit that we're trying to start, there has to be motivation. We have to want to do it. There has to be ability. We have to be able to do it. And then there has to be a prompt. We have to be reminded. To do it, and and so those things work together. And what he says is, there's an inverse relationship between motivation and ability. The harder it is to do, the the less your ability to do it. The more motivation that you need. And so, um, has anyone in here climbed Mount Everest? Like you need a lot of motivation to do that. Most of us don't have the ability to do that quickly, right? And yet, uh, how many of you are able to climb your couch? Like, probably most of us will do that before the day's over. Motivation uh, can be low because the ability to do that is low, and so, um, and so we need all of those things. And, um, and if we want to increase the likelihood of adopting a new habit, um, he recommends that we make the habit tiny. His book is called Tiny Habits, and also set a prompt, set something that will prompt us to do that. Because we need a reminder, right? I mean, you've probably experienced this. If you're getting ready to leave the house and something, you get distracted while you're trying to get your stuff. And it's like you get your phone in your wallet and then you get in your car and you don't have your keys because your routine got thrown off. You didn't have the prompt um, in order to do that. And so, you know, one of the things that I'm working on for, for this year is I want to um, just spend more time in prayer. And so, um, you know, I was r- listening to Fogg's work and uh, decided that my tiny habit would just be I'm going to just write, a pr- write prayers on a little note card. And uh, and so what I did, I I got this note card. I wrote a morning prayer on the front and an evening prayer on the back, and uh, I put it underneath my toothpaste in my drawer so that every time I get ready, I I have to literally move it, and uh, and it, it forces me to stop and pray and so this is what it looks like you can see my toothpaste says hello uh but but i've got that prayer and so every morning and every evening whenever i brush my teeth i see that and it's just a reminder is a it's a short prayer it's something that's you know uh, my motivation can be super low and uh and yet it stops me to pray and all i have to do is read and pray a card and so every morning i pray new every morning is your love great god of light and all day long you're working for good in the world Stir up in us desire to serve you, to live peacefully with our neighbors and all your creation, and to devote each day to your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I pray that, that continues to shape me, inform me and form me, and help develop faithfulness within me. And, and so I don't know what that looks like for you, but uh, that's one that so far is working really well for me. And so as you set resolutions for 2022, as you think about who you want to become, create tiny habits that help you to grow in character. Whatever that looks like, if you're trying to grow in joy or in patience or in self-control or faithfulness, whatever that is, look at, you know, ask, what is a tiny habit that I can create that will help me grow there? And so here are a few more action steps, a couple of ways that we can live this out together. So um, first, I want to invite you to reread later today or um, in the morning tomorrow, reread Galatians 5, 22 to 23, uh, where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And ask yourself how you've grown in the last year in love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How have you grown in those things in the next year? And how how's God ask God how God is calling you to grow in those things in the year to come. So spend some time reflecting on that. Who am I becoming? Who is God calling me to become? And then create a plan to practice stillness daily. Because we all need that, and it's really difficult to get. And so what are the opportunities that you have in your life? And and that looks different for all of us. Um, If you've got kids, that looks a lot different than if you're an empty nester. But uh, all of us need a place where we can be still. We can step back from the noise, and God can remind us whose we are. We can hear the voice that tells us, you are mine. And if we do those things... If we grow in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, we will be better in 2022, and the world will be as well. We pray with me? God, we are grateful for your love. We're grateful that you invite us to follow you wherever we are and that you don't leave us there. So we pray that you would help to shape us, that you would help to form us, that you would help us become the people that you created us to be, so that we can participate in your kingdom and be a part of your work to help the world be exactly as you created it to be. As we pray, we join in the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.